welcome to all those who are watching us on Facebook. I hope you have a great day. You had a great day, and this is a great evening. It's good. To, it's great to be back learning the Torah studies class um, and learning the Torah portion of this week together. I'm going to share the screen. We could um, look at something and learn some from the text. So this week, we are starting a new Chumash. You know what a Chumash is, Eli? Um, it's the, the the sections, right, of the... Exactly. Chumash is yes. like the, the, yeah. Book. Yeah. Chumash is, is, is one, is, Chumash in Hebrew is one, it's a fifth. Hmm. So fifth. One ah. book, fifth. So in one book mm-hmm. out of the five books of Moses will be um, will be called Chumash. So this week we start the Chumash Devarim, which is the book of mm-hmm. Devarim, which is the last book of the Torah. We're getting close to the end. We're getting close to the end of the year. We're getting close to the end of the Torah. Mm-hmm. We're ready to you know to start again. So. Um, so the timeline where we're holding in the Torah is that the Jewish people are really on the entry um, place to get into, into Israel. They're ready to get into Israel. They already conquered all the nations around them. And they are, um, after 40 years in the desert, they are not, um, after 40 years in the desert, um, and they are going, they're going towards the land of Israel. Now, Moses is soon going to pass away, right? Moses did not enter the land of Israel. And Moshe and Moses knew that. Moshe knew that he's not going to get into the land of Israel. God told him that. So now, right before his beloved nation are going to go into the land of Israel, he's giving them his last speech. He's giving them a parting address. Mm-hmm. The addressing the nation and starting to tell them, um, you know, a whole long speech, which is going to go throughout the whole book of Devarim. The whole last book of the Torah is one long speech of Moses talking to the Jewish people. What did he say? What is he telling them? So he's telling them a lot of things throughout the book that we're going to discover in the next weeks. But the first thing and the first words that the Torah is, 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 is describing to us, the Torah is going to tell us, those are the words, those are the things that Moses has spoken to the, to, to the, land, to the people of Israel. And he's starting with none other than rebuking the Jewish people. Rebuking the Jewish people. Reminding them on different things that they have done in the desert. Let's see in text number 1a. This is the very beginning words of this week's Torah portion. Eli, do you want to read it? These are the words that which Moses spoke to all Israel on that side of the Jordan in the desert, in the plain opposite the Reed Sea, between Paran and Tophel and Lavan and Chatzerot and Dizahav. It is 11 days' journey from Horeb by way of Mount Sair to Kadesh Barnea. It came to pass in the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first of the month, that Moses spoke to the children of Israel according to all that the Lord had commanded them regarding them. Thank you, Eli. Regarding them. So, although here we don't see any any words of rebuking, but um, our rabbis are, are telling us that Moses, although he's not explicitly rebuking the, the people, but he is alluding here with these words to different incidents and different scenes that they have done in the last 40 years. For example, you know, let's see text one, number 1b. And then we will see a little, you know, a few examples of what he does he mean when he's saying that. So this is Rashi on the spot. He is saying, since these are words of rebuke, and he Moses enumerates here all the places where they where they angered the um how do you pronounce that? Uh, omnipresent. Omnipresent. Oh, thank you. Therefore, it makes no explicit mention of the incidents in which they transgressed but rather merely alludes to them by mentioning the names of the places out of respect uh, for Israel. So because, you know, we care for the respect of, of, respect of, of, the, of, of the Jewish people, the, Moses is only alluding to this. For example, he's saying in the deserts, 
what is in the desert? The desert is basically referring to the time when the people complained that Moses took them out of Egypt and they said, mm. oh, right. you took us, you know, to die in the desert. Mm. When we say, you know, in the gold, Moshe refers to the golden calf. Um, Hatzerot, Moshe refers to what happened in the, in the place of Hatzerot. What happened in the place of Hatzerot was the, um, um, the whole incident with Korach. And so on and so forth, Moshe is going and reminding them of different things that they have been through. Now, part of the part of the of the of the verses, part of the words that he's saying. Let's go back to text number one, A, and we'll see what what's in the, the middle paragraph. Moshe is telling them it is 11 days' journey from Horeb, which is Mount Sinai by way of Mount, Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. What did that mean? Kadesh Barnea is really on the, on the border of Israel. Moshe is telling them it is an 11 days journey from Mount Sinai mm -hmm. to this place, to the land of Israel, meaning from, the, from Egypt or from Mount Sinai to go by foot, if, you, if you're walking, okay? If you're walking in a, in a, in a normal path, normal pace, from Mount Sinai to Israel, you will get to Israel in 11 days. All right? Why? Mo, what, what is Moses trying to tell him here? What is he trying to refer to? I mean, okay, this is 11 days journey, so what? So the, the Rabashini on the spot explains that Moshe is telling them as follows. Moshe told him, look, this is a journey which I'm supposed to take 11 days. Now you experienced a kfitzat haderech. Kfitzat haderech means a, a miracle which shortened the day, the, the shortened the way, sorry. And you made a journey of 11 days, you made it in three days. And if, you, if we look closely and carefully into the details of their journeys, we find out that it took them just three days to get from Mount Sinai to the border of Israel. And then the whole uh, story with the spies happened and then they had to remain in the desert mm -hmm. for 40 years. But the initial journey from Mount Sinai to Israel took them three days instead of 11. Moshe is telling them as follows. Moses is telling them, look, God was eager to bring you to the land of Israel. He took a journey of 11 days and made it three days. So you could get to Israel as, as quick as as quick as you can. But you're still here 40 years later. Meaning, because of your sins, although God was eager to, to bring you to the promised land as quickly as possible, because of your sins, you made yourself to stay in the desert for 40 years. So that is kind of the, 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 the rebuke that Moshe is telling them, look, not only is 11 days journey, you made it in three days, meaning you were able to get to Israel in three days and finished. But you made it at the end because of your sins, you made it in 40 days. Let's see it. Let's see what, how Rashi is saying it. Eli, your turn. Moses said to them, see what you caused. There is no shorter route from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea than the way through Mount Seir. And even that is a journey of 11 days. But you miraculously traversed it in three days. That's the extent to which the Shekhinah exerted herself to hasten your arrival to the land of Canaan. But because you sinned, God made you travel around Mount Seir for 40 years. Okay, so this is the, the rebuke, and this is basically what we learned in the beginning of this week's Torah portion. All right, so clear? So, so far, so clear? Yeah. Okay. Now, let's go a little bit into it. All right. Are you ready? So this verse is actually mentioned in a very interesting story in the Talmud. We're going to learn a little bit of Talmud now. And we're going to see how the Talmud is using this, this verse. And before we go into it, a little bit of an introduction. So the story is going to be about a sage by the name of Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakai. Mm -hmm. Or in short, Rabbi Yochanan. 
and he is arguing, is debating with a group of Baitusim. You know what? Who were the Baitusim? Uh, maybe heretic, because they're always talking to heretic. Exactly, exactly. You know, yeah. I see you know Talmud, huh? <laughs> uh, just the Breshid Rabbi. <laughs> Breshid Rabbi. Okay, so, so the Baitusim were a group of, um, I guess heretics, but not, um, not regular or typical heretics. They wore a section in the Jewish in the Jewish nation that they did not accept the oral tradition. Oh, the Herites is how you pronounce it. The K A. Okay, I I didn't I never was pronounced a Kerite, but it's, right. yeah, 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 Kar, yeah. Uh, Kar, yeah, yeah, the ones who don't accept the oral Torah. Exactly, they don't they don't accept the oral tradition. They say we just we only have the written Torah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is what we're going to. Now, this um, you know caused them to keep a very literal reading of the verses of the Torah. And they re totally rejected any rabbinical explanation mm -hmm. and any rabbinical, um, you know, call it interpretation of the verses. For example, they they used to wear tefillin here, because it said between the eyes, right? So they used mm -hmm. to wear the like put them here. right there, and not up here. Exactly, not up yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would, and, and and you know, and many things like that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, we're going to, now. We're going to discuss it a little later in the class. We're going to to learn what was be, what was their worldview. But mm -hmm. one of the things that they that they learn very literally is yeah. regarding the, the holiday of Shavuot. You remember what how what happened the holiday of Shavuot? The holiday yeah. of Shavuot was when we received the Torah in Mount Sinai. So the Torah is telling us about Shavuot that the Shavuot you have to celebrate it the day after. Meaning the word in the Torah is Mimachorat HaShabbat, the day after Shabbat. Now, our sages explain to us what does that mean the day after Shabbat. Explain to us what that means, and it's not literally the day after Shabbat, the day after Saturday, which is Sunday, but really a day after you, 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 you finish counting, uh, you know, seven weeks from Passover, whatever. So, but they, they learned, it says the day after Shabbat. So they said Shavuot has to be always on Sunday. All right? So, and now to the hmm. Talmud, to the piece of Talmud, to the story about an argument and a debate between Rabbi Yochanan and this Baitusim, discussing this, why they want to have Shavuot on Sunday instead of just like us in a regular weekday. Let's see it inside. So this is coming from the tractate of, of Menachot. Would you like to read it, Eli? Sure. Um, the, the Boethusians would say that the festival of Shavuot always occur, occurs on a Sunday. Rab, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zachai <clears throat> joined the discussion with them and said to them, fools, from where have you derived this? Nobody answered him except one elderly man who was prattling at him. And he said, uh, Moses, our teacher, was a lover of the Jewish people, and he knew that Shavuot is only one day. Therefore, he arose and established it on the day after Shabbat, so that the Jewish people would enjoy themselves for two days. Rabbi Yochanan ben Zachai responded by citing this verse. It is 11 days journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by way of Mount Seir. And if Moses, our teacher, was a lover of the Jewish people, why did he delay them in the wilderness 40 years? Okay, do you hear what's happening here? Let's unpack this a little bit. So the Baitusi is trying to promote his view which was always, Shavuot always have to have fall on Sunday. And he's saying, look, Moses was a nice guy. He wanted people to have, mm -hmm. you know, a, a long weekend. So he loved the people of Israel and really wanted to, you know, he wanted to, to make it easy for them, to make it enjoyable for them. So he made it that Shavuot will be always on Sunday. This way they will get a long weekend as we know in America, so many long, long weekends, right? We just had the 4th of mm -hmm. July, long weekend. The same thing is Moses loved the Jewish people. He wanted to give them a long week. So Rabbi Yochanan is coming and telling them, look, the Torah is telling us that the journey from Mount Sinai to Israel is only 11 days. If, 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 it, if Moses was a lover of the Jewish people, why did he delay them in the, in, in the desert? Meaning, Rabbi Yochanan is basically saying, 
you, you, you're telling me that Moses is a lover of the Jewish people. If he was the lover of the Jewish people, you wouldn't let them wander mm -hmm. in the desert for 40 years. Obviously, there's an obvious question here. What's happening here? The Baitusi, which is re rejecting Judaism, he's coming and promoting Moses. Look, Moses was the lover of the people of Israel. And Rabbi Yochanan, which was a great tzaddik, a great righteous person, he is going and, and, and you know, throwing Moses under the bus. What's happening here? He's telling, oh, if Moses was really a lover of Israel, he wouldn't, he wouldn't delay them in the desert 40 years. What, what, what's that supposed to mean? <laughs> what, 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 what? This, this argument doesn't, doesn't sound right. <laughs> it's, it's like Moses is telling him, you know, don't, don't talk to me. Don't convince me that Moses loved the Jewish people, okay? If Moses would really love the Jewish people, wouldn't let him wander the desert for <laughs> that a way to talk about Moses? <laughs> Come on. Huh? Rabbi Yochanan saying that Baitusi is wrong for suggesting that Moshe loved the Jewish people? Let's see the way the Rebbe is asking, yeah? But first, let's see the, the, the argument here. We have a Baitusi <laughs> argument that because Moshe loved the Jewish people, he would have ensured Shavuot fall on a Sunday, as he said, a long weekend. Rabbi Yochanan argued, if Moshe loved the Jewish people, he would have made the whole journey miraculously quick. So, turns out that he, I guess Moses wasn't the lover of the Jewish people. Is that right? <laughs> Let's see text number four, how the Rebbe is asking it. The biggest question here is the core of their debate. How can it be that the Baitus is the one who is premise mm -hmm. is that Moses, our teacher, was a lover of the Jewish people. Well, Rabbi Yochanan ben Zaki mm -hmm. says, and if Moses, our teacher, was a lover of the Jewish people, why did he keep them in the desert for years? As if to question that premise. It does not make sense. Right? What do you think? Uh, probably it's um, probably like it's just like a <clears throat> Uh, what is meant by love is my get, you know, it's probably what you're getting, you're getting my it, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a <laughs> the question is what, what, what that means. Like, why, why, why would, why, why would a different love have them wander the desert for 40 years? Yeah, or, or, or the, um, the, the, the Baitusi don't know what, the, what, what, what's, what, what is that love? Uh, or, uh, yeah, basically, um, that the the idea I will, I will help you I will help you out here yeah yeah, yeah. if you don't mind go, go, go. We, we are going we're going to get right to your to your point which is actually connected very much to what we've learned yesterday in the Tanya class about <laughs> different kinds of love remember yeah yeah mm -hmm. so it's gonna be connected very much but before we get in there before we getting into understanding the debate between Rabbi Yochanan and the Baitusi, let's first fully appreciate the differences between the written Torah and the oral tradition. Because again, the worldview of the Baitusi was they did not accept the oral tradition, just the written Torah, versus the rabbis who accepted the oral tradition to be part of the Torah. This is one big Torah. That we all we got it we got it together in Mount Sinai. Mm -hmm. So, what is the difference? What is the difference when? What is the core difference between <clears throat> the old Torah, the, the, sorry, the written Torah and the old tradition? So the written Torah, the written Torah, comes directly from that. The the old written Torah is what is the Tanakh, right? The five mm -hmm. books of Moses, the prophets. This is a written form of God's word as transmitted by the prophets, starting from Moses. This is exactly what God told them to write. God dictates every single word. And therefore, the, all, the written Torah does not change and will, will never change. And it doesn't make a difference if you are Sephardi or Ashkenazi, if you live here, if you live in Israel. You will, every Shabbat, you will read the same words. The Torah, the actual Torah is the same words. Nothing, not even one word is different. No matter which community you live in, no matter which, which customs you might, you might go by. Why? Because this is 
um, coming directly from God with no human input came through the prophets, but without their input in it. And therefore, it is not subject to any kind of debate. This is coming directly from God. The oral tradition was completely different. Because what is the oral tradition? The oral tradition is, is, is basically how the Torah is being explained. Right? Like we said before, the written Torah is not fully, you know, going down to details as we're going to see soon. And the, and, and, and the written Torah is meant to be read and understood through the oral tradition. And therefore, the oral tradition uses logic and reason, context, comparison, <clears throat> you know, so many logical ways to in how to understand the Torah. And now, and since it's all about human input and human understanding and human, human logic, Therefore, when it's coming down to human logic, no two minds are alike, right? Every mind is different. Every mind looks at things from a different perspective. And therefore, in every topic, you will find debate. You will find argument because this is subject to debate because essentially it's about you understanding. So it's about how you understand. Now, obviously, the bottom line the halacha, the Jewish law, the bottom line will go after the consensus, after majority. There are very clear ways on how the halacha will be, um, will be formed. What's the formula? But the ways how to get there is very much about logic and understanding. Mm -hmm. very much about human input. And therefore, there are so much, so many debates. Therefore, there's so much, so many uh, um, perspectives so again, maybe if we, you know to put it you know in different words, where the Torah, the written tradition, the written Torah has no human input, the oral tradition by definition is all about human input. Mm -hmm. Now, before we continue further, I think this is a very important um, realization and a very important um, um, a fundamental idea in Judaism when we want to understand what is Torah, right? Because we have the written Torah and we have the oral tradition. They are both part of the same Torah, but they're very different. Now, to demonstrate a little bit, to go a little further and, and, and see how, how much the oral tradition is only about human input. Let's see it in the, in the, in the next story, which you may be familiar with, but it's actually also coming from the Talmud which is a fascinating story, shows us just as much, just as, just so much, so much how the old tradition is all about us understanding the Torah from our perspective. This is coming from Tractate Bava Messiah. And this is going through an incident that happened in the yeshiva, in the place where they were sitting and learning. Oh, yes. You know the story, right? Yeah, so, yeah, 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 yeah. If you mind, do you mind reading it? Sure, sure, yeah. Okay. On that day, when they discussed this matter, Rabbi Eliezer answered all possible answers in the world to support his opinion, but the rabbis did not accept his position. He said to them, if the halacha is in accordance with my opinion, this carob tree will prove it. The carob tree was miraculously uprooted from its place 100 cubits, and some say 400 cubits. They said to him, one does not cite halachic proof from a carob tree. He said to them, if the halacha is in accordance with my opinion, this stream will prove it. The water in the stream turned backward and began flowing in the opposite direction. They said to him, one does not, one does not cite halachic proof from a stream. He said to them, if the halacha is in accordance with my opinion, the walls of the study hall will prove it. The walls of the study hall leaned inward and began to fall. Rabbi Yehoshua scolded the walls and told them, if Torah scholars are contending with each other in matters of halacha, what is it your business? Well, continue. Okay. The walls did not fall in deference to Rabbi Yehoshua, but they did not straighten in deference to in deference to Rabbi Eliezer, and they still remained leaning. Rabbi Eliezer said, then said to them, "If the halacha is in accordance with my opinion, heaven will prove it. 
a divine voice emerged from heaven and said, why are you arguing with Rabbi Eliezer? As a halacha always accords with his opinion. Rabbi Yehoshua stood on his feet and said, it is written, it is not in heaven. What does this mean? Rabbi Yirmiya said, since the Torah was given, already given at Mount Sinai, we do not decide the halacha in accordance with the divine voice. For God said at Sinai, you shall, never, you shall follow the majority opinion. Years later, Rabbi Natan encountered Elijah the prophet and said to him, what did the Holy One, blessed he, El-Sabihi, do at the time of this episode? Elijah said to him, the Holy One, blessed be he, smiled and said, my children have triumphed over me. My children have triumphed over me. Thank you, Eli. So this is a really a fascinating story. And this is basically, that's what the oral tradition is. It's all a process of the human mind. And that's the only way to arrive at the law. You could have, you know, all voices coming from heaven. The bottom line, God said that the halacha will be based on majority. Mm. And that's it. Even if from heaven, they will say differently. We're not, we don't care. Because it's all about how we understand. Mm. Now, obviously, this has to be very clear. That when we spoke about how we understand it, it doesn't mean that now we have the freedom to decide to, to understand it the way we want it and come to conclusions. There are very unique tools on how to get to those conclusions, meaning the Torah was given with the tools on how to understand the Torah the right way. You know, I like the, the example for it, for it. I'm going to get to it soon. You know, in, in computer, a lot of times when you download a lot of things from the, from the, from the internet, it will come down into zip files, mm-hmm. right? In order to extract the zip files and be and get the access to all the things in the in the zip file, you need a certain code. The computer knows how to figure out the code and extract the inside information that you need. This this is exactly what the written Torah and the oral tradition. The written Torah is like a zip file; it contains so much. Yeah. But it locked. It's locked up. You can get to it without the codes. What are the codes? We got 13 attributes and how to learn Torah. Which codes can we use in order to extract it the right way? But we're going to get to it soon. So this is basically the difference between the written Torah and the oral tradition. Now, this also in halacha, because you know, in learning Torah. For example, just to say it briefly, if one learns um, Torah and does not understand a word, you learn something but you don't understand, you just say the words, it's not considered learning. But this is only if you learn, like let's say a Talmud or the oral tradition. If you learn the written Torah, if you just read the words, it's considered as if you're learning. You're allowed to say the blessing before mm-hmm. learning because it's about the words, not about the understanding so much. Mm. I know usually we think the Torah is, you know, exercise for the mind. Oral tradition, yes. The, the, the written Torah is more about the words that making the connection between you and God. Mm. So this is really what the written Torah versus the mm. oral tradition looks like. Now, one benefit, if you will, of the old tradition is that it's more, much more relatable, right? Much more practical. It actually tells you how to live your life. If you look in the Torah, in, in written Torah, yeah, you will get confused. You won't know how to apply it to your own life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you will see words about you know binding these words between your eyes, but you have no idea what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. You will read something about you know unleavened bread. You have no idea what it is, how, how it has to be done. Mm-hmm. So many things in the Torah you won't understand. Again, it's a zip file. So as a zip file, this is not accessible without the mm-hmm. correct, without the right codes. Meaning that the, tor- the, 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 the Torah, as we know, the oral tradition is the, our manual for life. Although the whole Torah is a manual for life, but really what makes Torah applicable for our life is what? 
the old tradition much more than much more than the written Torah. As lofty as the written Torah is, and and is very much, but it's still it is it, it is the oral tradition that allows us to make the Torah part of our life. Yeah, yeah. Right? This is what the oral tradition is. Take the written Torah, take the ideas from the Torah and make it part of your own mm. life. And you could see it in text number seven, coming from the Maharal from Prague. Okay. And he's saying, he's saying without the oral tradition, which explains the written Torah, we wouldn't know how to practically perform a single mitzvah. In that sense, the old tradition is more about the recipient of the Torah, the person, the person. Meaning the written Torah is not so much about a recipient. It's about giving over a word. But, but to bring it down to the world or the recipient, this is with the old tradition. Mm-hmm. Moreover, the oral tradition is transmitted by word of the human, of the human mouth. In that sense, it relates more to the physical person. Meaning the, the oral tradition is much more applicable to our day-to-day life. Hmm. Much more than the written Torah. Meaning, it's, ultimately, it explains the written Torah. But what makes the written Torah applicable and, and, and available and accessible is the oral tradition. Hello, I know the, the, Hello. Sorry. I'm Hi. Here. No Hi. worries. You know, we have a very, a very um, small group today. So it's... Uh, we're just enjoying it. <laughs> Good. So Arlene, just to fill you in a little bit, all right? Can I fill you in? Absolutely. So we were reading regarding a verse from this week's Torah portion, which talks about how, how the, the journey from Mount Sinai to Israel, which should have taken 11 days, took them 40 years, right? Mm-hmm. Because of the sins of the Jewish people. So we, rec- we, we brought here a very interesting um, story from the Talmud where we read about a debate that a sage by the name of Rabbi Yohanan had with a group of people by the, that their name was the Baitusim. The Baitusim were a, group, were a group of people who did not, who rejected the oral tradition. They only agreed to the written Torah and they rejected the oral tradition. And then, in one of their debates, they um, suggested that uh, the holiday of Shavuot has to always be celebrated on Sunday. Well, this is the way it says in the Torah. It should be a day after Shabbat, which the rabbis understood, understood differently, which, you know, it's not the, for the scope of our class. Why? But they came to Rabbi Yochanan and said, look, Moses was... A nice guy, right? Oh, this was a nice guy. He loved the Jewish people. He loved the Jewish people, and therefore, he wanted to give them a long weekend. So he always made that the Shavuot will fall after Shabbat. So you have Shabbat, and then the holiday of Shavuot. So you got an extended extended weekend, right? Because he loved the Jewish people so much, he wanted them to, you know, to have a lot of rest. So to have them together, adjacent to each other. To which Rabbi Yohanan replied, if Moses was a lover of the Jewish people, how did he let them wander in the desert for 40 years? Which is surprising. Here you have someone who is rejecting Judaism, who is promoting Moses. Look, Moses was a lover of the Jewish people. What is Rabbi Yohanan telling him? You want to teach me about, about you want to tell me about the love that Moses had to the Jewish people. If he would really love the Jewish people, he wouldn't let them be in the desert for 40 years. Because they weren't ready for it. I think, but that's not right. That's uh, throwing Moses under the bus, right? <laughs> to tell, to say as if Moses did not love the Jewish people. No, but, he, but they didn't go so quickly is because they weren't ready for it. Okay. Right. So, so what does that have to, has to, do, has to do with the love? How, that's how, exactly what we're trying, what we're in the middle of, of, of figuring out now. Well, I, right? I'm sorry, but uh, um, 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 it's the oral tradition means that you don't have something concrete to read by. Right. Okay. 
all right? Am I with you? Am I with you? Um, okay, so the old tradition today, the old tradition was already um, transcribed um, into written form as well. Into what? Into a written form as well. Oh, to a written form. Yeah. While Moses was um, alive. Yeah, so so basically it was after Moses, Moses passed away, basically when, when the Jews started to suffer and they couldn't, they, they couldn't anymore, you know, keep the the oral tradition remain orally and just go from, you know, from one generation to another, then they figure out that it's best to just sit down and read it and write it up. So this will be documented for generations. But here we basically, we just discovered a little bit, what is the difference? What is the core difference between the written Torah and the oral tradition? So the written Torah, just to sum it up, the written Torah is all about, it's all, it's a word of God with no human input. It's exactly what God said, coming from the prophets, but without any input. This is exactly what, what God said, told Moses to say, where the, the oral tradition is all about human input. It's all about how we understand the Torah, obviously with the tools that we have gotten from in Sinai, but it's all about the way we understand the Torah. Now, based on that, we are we, we basically we just we just emerged to the conclusion that the oral tradition is much more applicable than the written Torah. Meaning it, the oral tradition, yeah. The oral tradition is what? Much more much more applicable to our lives than the written Torah. Meaning, meaning the oral tradition is the vehicle which makes the or the written Torah available to us, that we understand what that means. Without the oral tradition, we could read something about unleavened bread. We have no idea what it is. We could read something in the Torah about writing words on our doorsteps and between our eyes, but we have no idea what it is. So it's a combination of both? So exactly. It's a combination of both because at the end of the day, the oral tradition, the written Torah is part of the same Torah. It's one Torah that we have received in Sinai. But what's more, <coughs> sorry, what's more available and relevant to us is the way the Torah is, 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 was, was um, transmitted to us with the oral tradition. Because at the end of the day, this is a way that we could relate to. It's much more relatable. It's explaining to us how to actually take the ideas of the Torah and make it part of our lives. But it's the written first and then the oral second. So it's interesting to know that the oral and the written, we received them both in Sinai. The one was received as a written form and one was received in an oral form but they were both received at the same time. Fair enough. So, um, so basically the oral tradition is, is what we basically um, came to the conclusion, which is more, if you may, if, if, if you wish, more relevant and more applicable, not to suggest that the written Torah is not, but the written Torah is more about the loftiness of the Torah, the words of the Torah, not so much about the understanding where the oral tradition is all about us understanding it, us making it part of our lives, using it as tools to change the world, to change who so, we are and to change the world. Because so this is telling us how to live our lives. So if it were just written, then people in Tamator would be very quiet. They wouldn't be talking to one another. <laughs> right? I guess that's why Jews are always talking, right? They're very talkative. <laughs> <laughs> so, so because it's both, it's a combination of the written word and then the spoken word and the interpretation of the word that makes it whole. Exactly, exactly. But without the explanation which comes with the old tradition, we wouldn't understand it. We wouldn't know how to understand the Torah, really. Well, I, I, uh, when you have the Dead Sea Scrolls, nobody's talking, talking it, it's read. 
<laughs> right? But try to read it and, and tell me if you understand it. <laughs> well, I, I mean, that's, that's the interpretation. In other words, they read it and try to understand it, right? right. Based on the tools that they have gotten, again, from, from Moses in Sinai. Okay, so now let's go back to the argument and the debate between Rabbi Yochanan and the Baitusim. Again, the Baitusim were the group who rejected oral tradition. What? Why would they reject the oral tradition? What this was a, their worldview? Huh? There's always change in oral tradition. But they did not like oral tradition to begin with. <laughs> they did not like it. They did not like it. Not well, for us. What didn't they like about it? Why? Exactly. It's a great question. Why? Why? why mm. What didn't they like about? It? Well, because it's a, it's an oral tradition. Then uh, whoever is saying it is going to add something personally, a sound or whatever it's saying, and it starts to switch around. So, well, that's why that's why everything has to be anchored back to the um, to the tools, to the tools of how to learn. Not everyone could make a you know just a conclusion on their own. Hmm. There has to be a system, and there is a system. But they did not like this whole idea because they didn't like they, they did not like the notion of making Torah something which is applicable and relevant to us practically. They like the Torah as a spiritual pursuit. They said, they "Look, like, the Torah they like is the hierarchy of it all. They like what? the hierarchy. They like the hierarchy of it all. Exactly." They didn't like the, you know, the nitty-gritty. The average folk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because, look, the Torah offers a wonderful transcendent experience. You could be spiritual. You, okay. you know, it's a great escape from the world. So they were hmm. like, you know, we like the Torah to remain spiritual. To use the Torah as a tool to change the world, what we call today tikkun olam, to change, to fix the world with the ways that we have to go by the Torah. This is not the Torah. Torah is a spiritual pursuit. The Torah is not coming to change who we are. The world is a corrupt world. There's nothing to do about it. There's no way to fix it. Let's just escape from this world. We'll not deal with that. We will remain in the spiritual realm. We'll remain the spirituality of Torah, and that's it. Nice. Huh? I said, that's nice. You keep yourself... <laughs> Keep yourself like your head is in the sand. Yeah, exactly. And you don't deal with the realities of life. But that's that's what that's how they look at the Torah. And by the way, therefore, we will now we could appreciate why they wanted Shavuot, the holiday of Shavuot, to be, to be on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. That's a minor thing. What happened on Shavuot? On Shavuot, the Jews received the Torah. Again, they looked at the Torah as a spiritual experience. What is Shabbat? Also a spiritual experience. Exactly. Shabbat is a time, the only time in the week that we stop everything we're doing, you know, and we, we go into a spiritual experience, so to speak, meaning it's a kind of escape from the world. So they said, you know what? This word, this, that's actually mm. working very nicely. Mm-hmm. Shabbat is an escape from the world. Yeah. The Torah is also an escape from the world. Let's make them adjacent to each other. Meaning, mm-hmm. let's make the, the day to prepare ourselves from the Torah for, for the spiritual um, experience of the Torah will be what? Spiritual day as Shabbat. Mm-hmm. Let's see in text number eight, we, will, we, we could see, you could read it for yourself. Sorry. Sorry, that, so that I missed. This is obvious. This is what the rabbis are saying, that the Torah is all about changing the world changing ourselves, being a nice person, being a good person. The Torah is not just a spiritual experience. The Torah is here to guide us in our lives. As you can see here, Rava was one to say the objective of Torah wisdom is to achieve repentance and good deeds. One should not read the Torah and study Mishnah and become arrogant and spurn his father and his mother and his teacher. The one who is greater than he is the he in wisdom or in the number of students who study before him. As it stated, the beginning of wisdom is fear of God, a good understanding have all who fulfill them and mix. Meaning basically Torah is all about changing the person. 
So the Baitusi mm-hmm. did not like it. They said Torah is a spiritual person. Therefore, what will be the day to prepare for the receiving of the Torah? Spiritual day will be Shabbat. Because, you know, if you ask them, they would probably say, they would probably keep Shabbat the whole week. You know, mm-hmm. if it will be up to them, they would say, look, the whole week will, will be spiritual. The whole week we won't deal with the nitty-gritty of the world. And therefore, mm-hmm. they held that the lead-up. What? Who's going to do the laundry? <laughs> they said, you know what, we, we don't care about laundry. <laughs> the meal? Right. Okay. Exactly. But they said, you know what? We let, let us just be escaping. And therefore, they held that what, will, what, what should be the lead up to Shavuot, the day that we're getting ready for the receiving of the Torah, should be Shabbat. Therefore, they wanted uh, to Shavuot to be on a Sunday. Let's see it in text number nine. Before, let's see here, the Torah's mission is to transform the world into our home for God, specifically the old tradition that makes this possible by the way of telling us how to live our lives. So the way to simply check the very notion of making this world into a home for God is a very abstract spirituality of the written Torah. And here, you can see text number 10, Arlene, would you like to read it? Sure. This was Batusi's, is that correct? Yes. Batusi's argument. Inasmuch as the holiday of Shavuot is about a divine revelation from above, it ought to be preceded by Shabbat, which also is, but not a person's divine service of changing the world, but about the heavenly revelation of holiness, and therefore is a day of rest without labor. Ah, okay, so this was the Baitusi's way of thinking. But obviously, the rabbis did not agree There's to your that. There's your daughter. There's your daughter. Getting there. Getting there. <laughs> cool. So, of course, the rabbi did not subscribe to this notion because they know, they knew and we know, that the Torah is all about tikkun olam. It's all about making change in the world. It's all about not only abstract spiritual experience, but really about changing the world. So what will be the lead up for Shavuot? Shavuot should not be on Shabbat. Shavuot should be mm. in the middle of a, work, of a work week. Because at the end of the day, this is the mission of the Torah. What is the mission of the Torah? Changing yourself and without changing the world. Mm. Now, why are we talking about it? Why, we, why did we start? With this, you know, the differences between the oral tradition and the written Torah. Remember, we're trying to figure out the arguments between mm-hmm. Rabbi Yochanan and the Maitusi mm-hmm. about the love of Moses. Love. Right? Mm-hmm. Say, Rabbi Yochanan said, if Moses really loved the Jewish people, why did he let them wander in the desert for 40 mm-hmm. years? Let's, so let's, let, let's understand it together now. Rabbi Yochanan mm-hmm. is trying to get get the record straight. He understands where the Baitusi comes from. He understands how the Baitusi looks mm. at the Torah and the world. And he's telling him, look, 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 I, 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 got, I got to explain you something here. I got to explain to you what a real love, what a true love is. So just before we get, we get there, was it a desert? A desert is a dead place. You go in the desert, you don't see life. You don't see greenery. You don't see um, you don't you don't see um, what's it called? You don't see vegetables, you don't see things which are growing, you hardly see some animals, mm. it's very dry, no energy, no nutrition. It's it's a, it's a dead place, so to speak. And okay, what I mean, I to go into science because (laughs) but the fact is that when you look around you here in Bainbridge, you see a lot of green, you see a lot of life. When you look in the desert, you just see sand, Mm. doesn't it? It's not, it doesn't look alive, nothing is growing. And this is a desert is a metaphor for a dark place, a place where 
is where, where one don't where one does not experience growth, where one does not experience life, where one is negative. When the Jews went in the desert, even in a very physical sense, they made the desert, which was a place where no one lived, they made it for 40 years their home. They made it into a lively place. They transformed the desert into mm -hmm. land. Although they did not grow anything there, but they made it into a holy place. Mm -hmm. They took something like as, as dark mm -hmm. as the desert and, and built over there a home for God. Mm -hmm. Built over there for 40 years. They lived there. They made business there. They, they, were, they, they were living there. Mm. They made it into, they transformed it from a dark place, from a dead place, into a lively place. There's also no other people. I mean, the other thing about the desert is it's, it, there's no other people. There's no world. There's not like a, a culture. There's no Egypt. There's no, you know, there's none of the lands of Canaan. There's nothing there at all. There's no right. other people either. Um, so it's also like an isolation. It's also lonely. It's a very true point. Um but the point that we're trying to, to bring out here is more the transformation that they have done with the desert. And what this is, um, that was the groundwork for us that we could today deal with some, you know, sometimes people go through, you know, difficult times, spiritually or personally or physically, whatever it is. And we have the ability to transform it just like our forefathers did in the desert. Let's see index number 11. Um, Eli, would you like to read it? Yeah. Um, as our ancestors were traveling in the desert, they laid the groundwork for their descendants to subdue the material body and to get it to join in the divine soul's love for God, etc. Our work is only possible because the source of these kelipo has already been subdued by our ancestors in the desert. Otherwise, it would be totally impossible for a person to overcome the, soul, the body and the animal soul. So how do you say, is it kelipo? How do you pronounce that again? The shells. Kelipa. Kalipa, Kalipa, it's against But basically, what Kalipa. we see from here is that the time in the desert was a time of transformation. Now, here is what Rabbi Yochanan is coming and telling the Baitus. He's saying, "Look, you believe that spirituality has nothing to do with inner transformation, right? Spirituality mm -hmm. is an escape from the world." You don't change yourself. You don't transform yourself. It's all about God doing the work for you. Mm -hmm. You're resting, right? Shabbat. You don't have to do anything. God is giving you everything. And so Rabbi Yochanan is telling us, so it's, if that was the case, why did the Jews spend 40 years in the desert? Mm -hmm. Again, the desert is all about transformation. If you think that we are not here to, 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 to transform the world, mm -hmm. Why didn't God take them in three days in Israel? Yeah, That's it. it. Why do they have to wander in the desert for 40 years? If not for transformation, if not for the hard work, why did it, why, why did Moses, why did God do that? But the fact is, God did have the Jewish people undergo this process of transformation. Although transformation is a long process. It took 40 years, right? They had, they've gone through any sort of problem that, you know, could, could, could possibly arise. But as we discussed last week, they got, they knew how to grow better from it. They knew how to take a tough experience, transform it into an educational experience. They knew how to take a bad experience, transform it into a board string for growth. That's what they did in the desert. And, and, that, and therefore, the Jewish people spent 40 years in the desert. And now, that's basically what Rabbi Yochanan is coming and telling the, the Baitusi. If not for, this, for the transformation, if, if the mission of our lives will be to just rest, enjoy Shabbat, escape from the world, we wouldn't wander in the desert for 40 years. Now we can answer the question and understand why Rabbi Yochanan is using this response. If Moshe would love the Jewish people, he wouldn't keep them in the desert. 
Rabbi Yochanan is basically trying to tell the Baitusi that, meaning Rabbi Yochanan is not trying to tell the Baitusi that he's, he's, you know, he's wrong. Moses did not love the Jewish people. Of course Moses loved the Jewish people. There's no question about it. But Rabbi Yochanan is coming and telling the Baitusi, look, Moses did not have the kind of love that you imagine. Mm. He had a much deeper kind of love. Because the Baitusi imagined the love that Moshe had to the Jewish people, that he gave them everything in a silver platter. All the spiritual experiences, just take it, enjoy life. Have Shabbat every day. Don't work. Just have spiritual experiences. Be a spiritual person. Don't deal with the bumps of life. That's how the Baitusi looked at the love of Moses. Rabbi Yochanan is coming and telling him, look, you have a you are, you have a mistake on how you look at a true love. Because a true love is not when you give someone what easy is for them, but when you give someone, when you give them what is best for them. And that's what Moses did in the desert. Moses is rebuking them here as a loving parent, a loving father. He's want, he wants them to be better, although sometimes it's tough. Sometimes in order to educate your child, you do have to go through tough situations. But Moses knew, and we know, that real love sometimes is demonstrated by the hard times. Meaning, giving someone what they need, not what's what going to make them more comfortable. Love is not necessarily comfortable. That is a true love. So Rabbi Yochanan is, is basically telling the Baitusi, the love that you're imagining that Moses had to the Jewish people is a very, it's a superficial, mm. superficial one. You're imagining that Moshe would try to give them as many days of rest as, as, you, as, as he can. That they don't have to work. But really, what real what, what Moses would really what a real lover of the Jewish people was, that he took them the hard work. He gave them the hard work of being in the desert for 40 years because he knew that this is going to make them better people. This is best for them, although it's not comfortable, although it might, it might be tough, but this is a true love. Excuse me. Excuse me, but yes, I have sorry. to leave you to both. I'm sorry. What? I have to leave you now. I'm sorry. Okay. No worries. Okay. Have a good evening. Good evening. Good evening. So let's see text number 13, how the Rebbe explains it. This is what Rabbi Yochanan ben Zachar was telling him by Tusi. According to your view, it would have made more sense for there to have been an intense divine revelation from above. And so to bring them quickly into the land, to a more spiritual life. So that the people would enjoy themselves. The fact that he delayed them in the desert for 40 years proves that Moses' true love for the people was that he brought them to do the work mm. on their own. Mm. And this is basically the reason why the Jews wandered in the desert for 40 years. Now, and the, the, the message, obviously, that we, that we take from it, you know, it's true in parenting. It's true in marriage. It's true in any kind of relationship. When you want to educate a child or when you want to form a real relationship, you got to know how to give mm. sometimes the hard times or mm. how to discuss difficult uh, um, conversations, how to have difficult conversations mm. sometimes, yeah. obviously with love and respect. Mm. But just to bridge over the problems yeah. and not mm. solving them might be easiest, mm. might be more comfortable. But this is not the best. Mm. The best is, although it might, you know, go with some work and perhaps it's not comfortable, but the best is to go to the nitty gritty mm. and deal with that. Work on yourself, transform yourself, and that will make you and them 
much better people because the mm. only way to achieve your potential is by hard work. If someone is not really is not ready to work hard, they will never achieve their potential. So that is something that we always have to remember. Achievements in life take hard work. It shouldn't get us down, but should be taken as a sign that we have deeper resources to share. Mm. That is that is what Moses was basically giving over to the Jewish people by having them in the desert for 40 years. Mm. Achaim. Okay, so with that, we will conclude the, tonight's class. And just an announcement, I know people are not, uh, not so many people are here to, to, to list to hear that, but I will email it after as well. We are going to take now a summer break from this class for two weeks, right? So we will be back. Um, I believe we will be back on the August 3rd. Oh, so man, August 3rd. Okay, so for the remaining two weeks of, 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 uh, of July, we will be uh, having a summer break. Okay. We will um, take a break a little bit, and we will be back at the first week of August. Okay. Okay. The Tani class next Monday is going to be as usual. Okay. Got it. Okay, all the best, Eli. I hope you Great, enjoyed. thanks. Thank you very much. Yeah, it day. was a good companion for the time in class. Yeah, I like this Parsha. Amazing, good. I'm happy to hear. All the best and have a great night. Cool, you too. Take care.